Um, the message that I uh, that I put together this morning, I put together thinking in terms of seniors and seniors going out into the world, but the message is clearly dig into scripture has broad application for all of us. The title of my message is Real Life, and I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. The passage we'll be looking at, Paul's letter to the Christians at Colossae in chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. In Colossae, Paul confronted an, an, an issue that is a very common issue confronted. It's one certainly common in the first century that churches uh, confronted, but it's one that's very common still today, and it, and it is the business of separating ourselves from our former way of life. In the church at Colossae, there, there were Jews in the church, and their former way of life had been attached to the law. The law was the, the guide in their life. There were also Greeks as well, though, and their former way of life had been driven by a paganism, following after a pantheon of gods and living pagan lives. And so separating from those things and embracing Christ, I know there was a way that I once lived that was not the Christian way. And coming to Christ and separating myself from that old way of life was something that had to be confronted. Not always an easy thing. But Paul tells us where real life can be found, gives us motivation for undertaking that endeavor. In verse 1, he says, if you then have been raised with Christ, if you belong to Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you consider yourself a disciple of Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And Paul said something very similar to this in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. He said, God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us along with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. We became united with Christ because God has, has brought that unity together for us. Paul challenges the readers of his letter in Colossians and in Ephesians that true life can only be found in heaven with Christ and God. And this is, a, this is a mysterious thing for us because we live this physical life in the here and now. The idea that real life is in heaven above where Christ is seated, that we're hidden in Christ, that we're dead in Christ. What he's saying is, is that we're dead to this world, we're dead to the things of this world, and that we are alive through Christ, that his spirit dwells us and in a very mysterious way. We are connected to that Christ that sits at the very right hand of God. And, and we've died to this world. If we are a true follower of Jesus Christ, we have died to this world. 
It's, it's such an easy thing to allow ourselves to be consumed by the things of this world. It's precisely what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to embrace this world and this life as though this is real life. This is what real life looks like. It takes place here and now in this place on this earth exclusively. He wants us to believe that this is all that there is, that this is all that we have for now, and we can put life in the heavens on the back burner until such time as we have to confront it. Or if we have some vague notion of the afterlife, you know, we, we know there is an afterlife, you know, just, just don't worry about it now. This life here is the only one that matters. And so we end up with the culture in which we live. We end up with reality television programming and things like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette where people are trying to find that person that they think is going to make life perfect for them or the real housewives of pick any county or city or country. I was looking online. I believe they have a real housewives of Phuket in Thailand, believe it or not, yes. And of course, we've got the Kardashians that live on. I thought they would have expired long ago, but the shelf life is, it lasts forever with ever-increasing influence. And the common denominator among all the characters in all of these programs is that life is all about them. And the programs are formatted in such a way so as to lure the audience to identify with the characters, to want to be like the characters that they're watching on TV. And the American public laps it up like it can't get enough, and Satan must laugh day and night realizing that he's fooled so many people into believing this lie, that this world is where true life is found. But Paul tells the, the Christians at Colossae, your real life is not here. It's in heaven, in Christ. You, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you have ascended to a higher plane. Your life is hidden with Christ in glory. Christ is your life now. Paul says, if that's true for you, if you are a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then seek after the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on earthly things. And then he tells us what real life looks like. In verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. If we're to live life in all of its fullness, then we've got to recognize it can't be found here. It can't be found on the earth. So we to, to attach ourselves to earthly things, to the attitudes, to the philosophies of this world is, is a foolish endeavor. Paul says, cut them loose. Put them to death. Put to death what is, is, is earthly. Be done with it. Mortify the earthly things is the actual word. Put to death what is earthly in you. In the event you're unsure of what Paul speaks of when he talks about those earthly things, he goes on. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul starts with that which has 
saturated our society. Sexual sin. And though it's saturated our society in so many ways, it's not something that's limited only to our age. Clearly, it was a problem in the first century when Paul wrote this letter, and indeed has been a problem from the very beginning. As you read through the Bible, you'll find many stories involving prostitution, promiscuity, homosexuality, people driven literally by pure animal desire to satisfy their own lustful cravings with no thought whatsoever to who they might harm in the process. Think Tamar and Amnon. Think Tamar's just lustful drive to have, to possess his, his sister, his half-sister, Tamar. And it drove him to take her and then to kick her out once he was done with it. No, no thought whatsoever for the consequences of his actions, just driven by pure desire. The first word Paul uses here is sexual immorality. The Greek word that's used here is often one used to refer to adultery or sexual relations outside marriage. And as I, as I spoke in first service, I, I pointed out to the young people especially, but it doesn't apply simply to the young people. It applies to all of us. The, the way that relationships are formed is usually they start out with romance and one person is attracted to another person. They're attracted because they, it's looks or personality or there's something that attracts between two people. And you often see this take place in, in the workplace, even amongst married people. There's some attraction that takes place, illicit if an individual is married, but an attraction nonetheless that it, it starts out with, you know, that, that flirtatious behavior. It moves towards hugging and kissing and once it's reached that place, there's a point at which the only thing that's left is sexual intercourse. And you want something more out of the relationship, but that's the only thing that's left. And so the sex outside of marriage begins. And when it begins, the guys want more, and the girls feel guilty. And if the guys say they belong to Christ, the guys ought to feel guilty whether they feel guilty or not sometimes guys seem like they have a they have a, 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 a greater capacity to shut the guilt faucet off you know but but they ought to feel guilty but th th there's no enhancement to life that takes place in these kinds of settings whether it's with young people that have never been married before or whether it's with older folks that are married or single there's no enhancement to life when you move a relationship to this level without engaging Christian marriage. It brings nothing to life. There's just sex. And most often, marriage is not the product of these kinds of relationships. And sometimes, unwanted and unpleasant diseases, sexually transmitted diseases are the result, or unplanned, unexpected, unexpected children are the result, children for which young people are not prepared, and older people never anticipated. People choose to lie over the truth. They believe that sex outside of marriage will improve life 
only to find life terribly complicated by the choice that they've made. It's a British sociologist by the name of Catherine Hakeem who made headlines in 2012 with her book, The New, the New Rules of Marriage. In her book, she likened fidelity and long-term exclusivity in relationships to traps which make people feel like caged animals. Those are her words. Ms. Hakeem advises married couples to look to the French for inspiration for successful relationships. She says, our French neighbors, who she brands as masters of seduction, have a philosophical approach to adultery, and they allow their partners off the married leash. Her premise, adultery can make marriage better. Sex outside of marriage can make marriage, make life better. She also advises that you not do this in your quote-unquote own backyard. And don't tell your wife or your husband that you're doing this, you know, which is what we call cheating. That's not fair to do this and not tell. That's why we call it cheating. So she says cheating will make your life better. Go ahead and cheat. It'll make your life better. But, uh, you know, what we know is that is uh, that's not the case. Paul says, quit looking for life here as though this is all that there is. If you have been raised with Christ, look above where he is, where life is. Paul says, put to death sexual immorality. Impurity refers to the motive behind the actions that might be of a sexual nature. Passion refers to a lack of self-control as it relates to sexual activities. Evil desires refers to healthy sexual appetites naturally fulfilled in marriage that have been corrupted. They're natural desires, but now they're evil desires because they're taking place outside the context of marriage. And finally, he says covetousness. Now, coveting is the desire to have something or to have more of something. You covet it. You want it. Or you want more of it. Obviously, in context here, the thing coveted is a person desired for their sexual appeal. Once again, it's a holy, self-centered desire with no thought of the well-being of the other person. None of these things bring life. And in fact, Paul says they are idolatry. And so, here's how you need to frame this in your mind. These things bring death. God said in the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God, and you will have no other gods before you. And what Paul is saying here is, is that these things, these earthly things, these sexual things, these immoral things, these perverse things, these things that happen outside the context of marriage, this coveting more of these things, wanting more of these things, this is idolatry. You have removed God as your God, and now these things stand as an idol that you worship. They are more important in your life than God is important in your life, and God is a jealous God. These things bring death. In verse 6, he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these... You too once walked when you were living in them, but now you've got to put them away. 
I mean, there was a time when all of us, I know that some were, came to Christ very young. I came to Christ at the age of 28. And so there was a time in my life when I walked in this way, and these were the things that were important to me, and this was all I knew with regard to life, was what was in this world, what I could lay hold of in this world, what would bring me pleasure in this world. Paul says you all walked in this way at one time, but now you've got to put these things away. There are very, these are the very things for which God is storing up his wrath. There, there's a, a sense in which his wrath is being revealed even now against those who choose the lie of Satan and, and seek fullness in, in life in this world. I mean, we see it all around us, the broken lives of people who, who bought into the lie of Satan in these kinds of ways. You can't pick up the newspaper on a daily basis without reading another name from Harvey Weinstein to... Bill Cosby and Matt Lau and Charlie Rose and Kevin Spacey and Mark Halperin. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. The names of individuals that thought this kind of activity that I've been speaking of would somehow, someway make their lives fuller. How many celebrities and producers and politicians and pastors have sacrificed everything? Lives, careers, families, reputations, for a few moments or hours of pleasure at the expense of someone else, not thinking about anybody else, only of themselves, not thinking about the consequences of what they're doing, thinking only of themselves. Paul warns the Colossians on account of just this kind of sexual sin, this self-centeredness, the wrath of God is coming. You once held these attitudes yourselves. You once committed these acts yourselves, but now is the time to put them away. If you have truly been raised with Christ, if you are truly a disciple of Christ, you do not want to be attached to these things when the wrath of God is poured out because the wrath of God is going to be felt in its full measure by those that seek life in these ways. In verse 8, Paul expands the list. He says, now you must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. He says in addition to the sexual sin, to the, Im the impurity, he says you need to put off anger and wrath and malice and slander, talking about other people, those things that roll so easily off of our tongues, it so clearly depicts the condition of our selfish hearts. Those things have got to go as well. We must be truth tellers whose foundation is God's truth. The picture that Paul paints is the taking off of an old set of clothes, the way we used to dress, and putting on a new set of clothes. He calls it being renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. In verse 12, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Someone fully engaged in life, living life to its fullest, has set aside the pursuit of sexual fulfillment as the key to a full life, and they have realized that thinking in terms only of themselves doesn't work. They rather are setting their affections on things that are above, on Christ, and they're bearing his image. They've begun to put on the qualities of Christ, his compassion for people, his humility and meekness, his patience, the kindness of Christ's response, and above all, quick forgiveness. Our motivation being the reality of God's forgiveness for all that we've done. In verse 14, he says, and above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Finally, he says, put on love. It will bind you together as a body as nothing else can. Let peace rule in your heart. Don't be anxious. Let Christ's words abide in you, influencing your every thought and word. Indeed, the word of Christ dictates the words that we speak to each other. And whatever you do, you do it as a representative of Jesus. Now, here's the catch. You nor I can do any of these things. Only Christ can. We can't do them. Only Christ can. But when he does them through us, when we surrender to his spirit and we say, you are my life, Christ in heaven above, seated at the right hand of the Father, you are my life. I am dead to this world. My life resides in you. With his Holy Spirit within us, we want to do these things. In the flesh, we're never going to want to do these things. But by the Spirit of God, there will be a desire to do these things. I have, I can honestly tell you, I have no desire for an extramarital affair. It's a good thing, right? Not on my bucket list, not something I want to do, not something that I want to experience. I love my wife. She loves me back. Are we always easy to love? No. I have offended her. It's been a rare occasion when she has offended me. But we both have a desire to move beyond those things. I want to forgive quickly. I detest broken relationship, especially with my family members. I want to set aside those thoughts and words and deeds that dishonor God. I want to be that person described in verses 12 through 13, humble and meek and patient and compassionate. But then that's not truly me, you know. 
I don't often get mistaken for a humble, meek, patient, compassionate guy, you know? Paul said in verse 7, I, I, I once lived in those things, and old habits sometimes die hard, but when the Spirit of God takes up residence with a renewed mind, with that circumcised heart that Jeremiah spoke of, I desire the things of God because the Spirit desires the things of God. Fullness of life is found in being who God's called us to be and doing what God has called us to do. Many of you are very familiar with Romans 8.28, which says, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. But verse 29, listen to this. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, the likeness of his son, so that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brothers. He wouldn't be the only one that bore these characteristics that so modeled God himself, that so incarnated the love of God, but that there would be many brothers and sisters who had been conformed to the likeness and the image of Jesus Christ that are showing forth these things as well. Yesterday, we had six families complete their in-class training to be certified as foster parents. I have a picture of that. Did I throw my picture up yet? Well, you may see it, you may not. But we had, we had six families, big group that uh, was up here yesterday that completed the, the uh, training. They are one step closer to being uh, certified as foster families. And, and they heard as well from a fellow by the name of Brian Strauser with Florida 127. He will come. He'll be speaking with us in, in a few weeks. I'm going to give him some time to share. But Florida 127 is, uh, is all about building networks, communities of support for, for fostering. Not everybody's going to be a foster parent. If the, if the six that went through the training um, are, are certified as foster parents, that will be, to my knowledge, nine foster families in the church. Now, I, I'd like to see a whole lot more foster families in the church. And once again, when I say to you, not everybody's going to be called to fostering. I don't want that to fall too lightly on your ears. I don't want you to go, yeah, that's right. I'm not called to fostering. You know, let it let it set, you know, let, let the Holy Spirit make that determination for you. But I know not everyone is going to be called to fostering, but I want this church, we should be a community that supports fostering. I mean, one of the first things that we're called to is to see to the needs of widows and orphans, and these are the orphans in our community. And so we're going to be talking about other ways that if you're not a foster parent, that you can be supported, that we, are we a community here? Absolutely. Are we, we are the local body of Christ. We are the, the local family of God. We're a community here. And so we want to be a community that supports fostering. By the way, TJ told me yesterday that the group that he had uh, go through here at our church was uh, one of the largest that he had done recently and on a par with groups that he had trained in churches far larger than ours that will remain unnamed. And uh, so anyway, he, he said, well, what he said was, he said it's not the size of the church. He said it's the size of the heart of the church. 
And I agree with him 100%. And so we want to be a church that has that heart of God within us, the spirit of God within us that drives us to do what we do. Because we won't care. We will not. I will not care about foster kids without the spirit of God compelling me in that direction. And we will not as a church either. Yesterday as well, we had about eight individuals from our church that were out at Zephyr Hills Correctional Institute undergoing training to ensure that ministry to the incarcerated continues here. In addition to those, we we have several others in our church that are engaged in ministry out at the Pasco County Jail. We have ample ministry to the incarcerated that's taking place here. This morning we prayed for a mission team that's headed to Kentucky to serve the underprivileged in Appalachian. We, we have one that has just returned from the, the far east and ministry to the persecuted church there. We have others from among us who have taken up residence in faraway places in order to serve those in need of relationship with Christ. And this is what full life looks like. It's the surrender of personal rights and privileges to serve God by serving others. And here is the key concept that I want you to take away this morning. Number one, you won't do this. You'll never do this. You will never do this. Only the Spirit of God will do this. Key concept, the more we do these things, the more we want to do these things. I mean, the more mission trips we go on, the more we want to go on mission trips. The more need we see ministering to that need, the more we want to meet the need. The more ministry to the incarcerated in which we engage and, and we meet guys and we know guys and we see need just for fellowship, just for you know somebody to talk to. The more you see that, the, the more you want to minister to that need. The more you engage in ministry to foster children and you see how great the need is, the more you, you want to meet the need. Now, I'm not saying that there is not weariness in undertaking these endeavors, that the more you do it, the more juice you're going to be to do it. And I can't wait to go do it. I'm just so excited about going and doing it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is the more you do it, the more you'll see the need, and the more you'll want to honor God, the Spirit of God will compel you more and more to do it even when you don't feel like you've got an ounce of energy left to do it, the more you do it, the more you'll want to do it. Conversely, the more we avoid surrender of our lives to Christ, the more we long for fulfillment of our lives in the here and the now, the more we embrace the things of this world, the more we believe the lie of Satan. The more we embrace the things of this world, the more we want of this world, the more we buy in to the lie of Satan. Let me ask all of you to stand. I don't know individually, I can't see into a person's heart, and so I don't know how God is dealing with you individually today. 
what it is he may be calling you to, what it is he may be convicting you of. But what I know is, is he's here today. His spirit is here today. And he loves you and he cares about you. And he's brought you to this moment and he's called you to this place. And he wants relationship with you and he wants you to know the fullness of life and where it can be found. If you've never before put your faith and trust in Christ, we want to give you the opportunity to do that today. If you would be a follower for us, I mean, if you, if you have that longing within you, we, we had a, a young guy come forward in, in first worship and said, man, I, I haven't been in church in, in so long, but I just, what you said resonated. I've been seeking my fullness in life in this world and coming up empty-handed, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. We began a conversation with her this morning. Hopefully that'll lead to a place where she'll surrender her life to Christ. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. And you just want to undertake a conversation. Or maybe you've decided, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to know the fullness of life. Or maybe you decided at some point in your life that you were going to be a follower of Christ. And you followed him. But at some point, Satan blindsided you. and You, you began to buy into that lie again and look for your fullness in this life. And maybe what you need to do this morning if you belong to Christ, I believe your sins are forgiven. I know people can drift a long way from God. Maybe this morning is the time you need to confess your sin, your idolatry, of placing the things in this world ahead of God, bowing down to the things of this world as though they somehow could bring you the fullness only God can bring. Maybe you need to confess this morning and repent of sin realign yourself with God, acknowledge God, you are right and I am wrong and I'm going to follow after you. Maybe you just need to confess and repent. Find your way to your knees and tell God, I will follow you from this point forward. But as God speaks to your heart, don't, man, the more you push him away, the easier it is to push him away. A key concept, the more you do with something, the easier it is to do it. The more you do something, the more you want to do it. The more you push Christ away, the easier it is to push him away, to turn a blind eye, to turn a deaf ear. Don't do that to him this morning if he's speaking to you. You respond to God.